Thank you, Bethel people. Uh, you have been, uh, I wish I could tell you a few fun little stories about how this church uh, specifically touched our lives, our family. Uh, Judy Posine had a remarkable impact on us in some of the things that she did. And yesterday she, uh, we celebrated her life. Um, you have this, I think, you have this, is this in your bulletin handout, this uh, prayer calendar? And then on the back side or the front side, I don't know which it is, it says, how to pray for your missionaries. And there are seven items on here. Um, maybe Pastor Gary created this. This is a great idea. So seven, okay, we've got seven days in the week. Just choose, pray for the first one Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Just pray for one each day. Go through that regularly. That would be a fantastic way to encourage and support your missionaries. And it's practical things to pray about. Uh, our lives are, um, you know, we just live like you. You gotta get groceries and things and, and uh, you're dealing with children that are always perfect and obedient. And that's kind of the privilege of a missionary. If you ever become a missionary, your children automatically become totally compliant and wonderful. Or you can pray about them that they might sort of lean in that direction. That might be another thing to do. Thank you for, um, your support to our family, but also the SALT team, uh, which is made up of Chinese, 100% uh, these days. So I was the last foreigner to get out of there, and so now it's totally in the hands of our national staff team, which is the way it's supposed to be. Um, if I were to sit down with you and have a little conversation and ask the question, what is the most important business of the church? What would you say? Uh, evangelism? Outreach? Church membership? Uh, some type of service? We'd all have some little different ideas about how we might answer that, but then the next question is an important question, and so if you've got an answer to that, the most important business of the church, then the real question is, is so are you intentionally involved in the church in that way? And that's what we want to find out today. Um, there could be lots of good answers, but I think we want to look to the words of the founder of the church and see what he had to say. So we're going to look at a, a very familiar text. So if you've got your Bibles, your phone, or whatever you use for your uh, Bible use, look to Matthew, the last five verses, Matthew 28, 16 to 20. And you've probably memorized a few of these verses and so we'll look at them this morning. And so it goes like this, Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So let's paint this picture a little bit of what was going on here with Jesus and the disciples. Jesus shocked them beyond anything they could imagine by rising from the dead. That just was not in the cards, so to speak, and they couldn't believe it. How does this happen? And in our vernacular today, we would say this is just not scientific. It's not real. It can't be true. Yet there he was. 
And so they had to deal with skepticism and doubt and sincere, genuine disbelief. Is, is it real? Did we really see him and hear him? So Jesus told them to meet him in Galilee. So they had to walk up from Jerusalem area far to the north, and they go to the Sea of Galilee. Now Peter, in his own issues and confusion and denial, uh, just didn't know what to think. And so uh, Peter decided he'd do at least one thing he knew how to do, and that was to fish. So he said, I'm going fishing. And some of the others went with him. Eventually, all 12 got there, except Judas, of course. I mean, 11 got there. And they met up near the Capernaum area. And Capernaum is on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. So if we look at this picture, uh, if, you're stand, if you're in a boat on the Sea of Galilee and you're looking to the north, and now this is looking the opposite way, but if you're in a boat and you looked sort of to the northeast, you'd see this village of Bethsaida where Peter was from. And then there'd be this big town, Capernaum. Capernaum was very, very famous, huge synagogue, uh, famous for export, exporting fish all the way to Rome. And then just to the left or the northwest of the city of Capernaum was this huge mound or a small mountain, a giant hill. And this is where this picture is from. And the hill kind of has a cliff face that goes from the, almost the waterfront straight up. And if you wanted to walk or hike from Capernaum up to the top of this mountain, you could. But it's this trail that traverses back and forth, back and forth. And finally, you get up to the top. And there was is where all the disciples probably gathered to meet Jesus. And then he stands before them. And what was their immediate knee-jerk impulsive reaction? What did they do? could not but help themselves just go flat on the ground, bow down, face down to the ground before Jesus, who is somehow so majestic, something about him was totally different. That's how we're going to respond once we really see Jesus. We're not going to run up to him and say, hey man, what's, how's it going? We are going to be so overwhelmed with his majesty that we will fall down with our faces to the ground to worship him and thank him. And so these disciples did that, and they get up, and Jesus now has some instructions for them. So here's the sequence of events. This resurrected Jesus appears in his new and magnificent body, but it still has scars on it. So he was human, and so he was something different. And at the sight of Jesus, they fall down and worship him. They gather on this high, prominent mountain, and it overlooks uh, the Sea of Galilee and uh, to the, uh, the, on the picture that you saw, the left side is the Golan Heights, and the sea is sparkling, or this giant lake, and it's as if the world is laid out before them. And it's in that scene that Jesus reminds them of his limitless power and authority, and finally, he commissions them, gives them one single task of obedience that they are to do, and he guarantees their success. You will never be without me. He still guarantees that success. We're still not without him. He's here. He's with us. Now, if you had been there and you had listened to that, what would you be doing all the rest of your life? Now, you might be a fisherman. You might be a carpenter. You might be a dentist. You might be a teacher. You might be a clerk. What would you be doing or thinking about or participating in all of your life the back of your mind is always going to be thinking about, I'm going to 
Obey Jesus. Make disciples. Do what he said to do. So let's figure out what does this mean, make disciples? I said the originally, I said, what is the main business or the most important business of the church? It's make disciples. That's what it is. So let's take these verses apart a little bit and begin to look at what they mean. First of all, we see Jesus uses the word all of some form in four different ways. He says he has all authority. He's going to send them out to all nations everywhere. And he says he wants them to observe all that he commanded. Now we look at that word observe and we think it means just kind of stand back a little bit and just notice. And we, that's what we think observe means. It doesn't mean participate, but that's the wrong concept. So this word observe means engage, do, obey, participate, carry it out. Obey all of his commands. How many of them? The ones we feel comfortable with? No. He doesn't give us much choice because he's the most brilliant, wonderful person ever in history. And when he says to do something, he's not kidding. And it's not just an afterthought. So we have all authority, all nations everywhere, obey all of his commands. And when is he with us? Always. So we have these four things. Now the next part of the verse is we find that there's four action words One's a command, and three are participles. Okay, probably everybody here knows what a command is, but what in the world is a participle? So a participle comes from a verb, and we take a verb, it's formed from a verb, and we use it as an adjective. And so that's kind of like take a verb and add an ing to it, and that helps get a participle. So now there's three participles. Um, we're going to look at these. So the first one is go. It sort of doesn't look like a participle. looks like a command. And the next one is baptizing. And the third is teaching. And so this is kind of the, uh, describes this central command of what does it mean to be making disciples. These have something to do with it. Finally, the last thing we look at is what is the only command, and it's this one, make disciples. So let's look at all of it together, and so we see this composition of the whole thing. All authority, all nations, observe all his command, his laws, his guidelines, and do this. He's with us always. Go, baptize, teach. In the process, you're going to be making disciples. So who's talking? It's the one who has all authority is saying, this is your marching orders. This should be what the church is all about. Dallas Willard in his book, Divine Conspiracy, says uh, this idea. He says, imagine being in Jesus' presence. Okay, so that's in the future for us. Imagine one day now, and for, for some it's going to be longer than others, but you're in Jesus' presence, and now imagine you're trying to explain to him why you didn't do what he said was best. Total embarrassment. I had other things to do. I didn't know you said that. What will our excuses be? They'd sound so silly. And so we don't want to be in that situation as, you know, I've got other things to do, other priorities, other things that are important. Is that your agenda or his? So we want to stop and think, hold it. Who is talking? It's Jesus the Master. He loves you and me and does not want to wish anything of ill will on us and so when we run into those things, he walks us through them. So the next one is, what does disciple-making include? 
So we have these three words that we've been looking at. The first one is the word go. Well, that sounds like go. And you'd think, okay, Steve, you and Marilee kind of went wild with this idea. You guys really went a long ways away in a long time. Uh, That's not normal. That's really not Jesus' idea. And it's okay to do that, but that's not for everyone. And so what does the go concept mean? Think of it this way. Think of it as, as you are going. It's first in order because it's important. And it is, as you are going about life, make disciples. When does life happen for you? Today. It's this afternoon. It's whatever you're doing today. You need to go to the grocery store. How are you going to be thinking in terms of making disciples in your normal daily life activities? Are you a secretary? Are you a teacher? Are you a 10-year-old? Are you semi-retired? Make disciples. Being involved in making disciples as you're going about life. Now, we're going to get into the real thing. What is a disciple anyway? And that's going to come up. But going means now. Doing what you're doing, where you're at in your career. You don't need to stop it. You're not being by disobedient by doing the profession that you do well. You can be going as you go about life, making disciples. So the next thing uh, we want to look at is baptizing. So this is our repentance and a new alignment with Jesus. So a lot of us have that figured out. And the third thing is is, um, teaching. Well, teaching, we think of uh, learning things, uh, learning information, learning about the church, learning the doctrines of Christian faith. Uh, we used to have Bible instruction classes, and then we'd learn things. Uh, we attend Bible studies to learn things. Stop and think about Jesus and his teaching. How much of Jesus' teaching was to teach about doctrine? Not much. Jesus' teaching almost always is about teaching about how to live, how to relate to each other, how to deal with conflict, how to respond to opposition and resistance, how to be gracious and forgiving. Why should we be gracious and forgiving? How do we be uh, team players? How do we get along with one another? And so Jesus This idea of teaching is teaching about how to live. So now we have, as you're going through life, baptizing, make an initial beginning, resolve, I'm his, count me in. And then it is learning and learning how to live. Jesus said the kingdom of God is in you. The kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is with you. Learning to live in the kingdom of God is learning how to live life. And so that is who we want to be, how we want to express life is in this way. Okay, so I want to move on a little bit and think about uh, this is going to get a little bit more practical in terms of uh, what, after all, is a disciple. Dallas Willard has a couple of interesting ideas. He points out two things. And the first thing is a disciple is with Jesus. So if you think of yourself as a disciple... 
then are you with Jesus? If so, how are you with Jesus? When are you with Jesus? What does it mean to be with Jesus? Well, how can you be with Jesus? You sit and meditate and hum? Or what do you do? Well, he's given us Scripture. And we have his love letters, the four Gospels. And so if you break down the four Gospels, there's 89 chapters in the four Gospels. You could read a chapter a day, finish all four Gospels in just three months. Do you do that? Have you done that? How else are you with Jesus? If you're not in his word, you've got to start doing that. Make a plan. But do it with somebody else. Uh, many years ago in Hong Kong, we were in a, our uh, international church, and a couple of guys came to me and said, Hey, Steve, why don't, we, why don't we get together on a regular basis and start, let's have a goal to read through the whole Bible. I said, Okay. Um, I like to do that routinely once a year. And so they wanted to do a chapter a day. And so we did. Every Tuesday morning, we'd meet at McDonald's and talk about the seven previous chapters. The point was, is let's keep our feet to the fire. Let's have some accountability. Let's encourage each other and keep, keep doing it. And so if you're gone, you fell behind, the, the rule was don't try to catch up. Just jump into the previous seven and let's, that's what we're talking about. And, and keep at it. it. Took us two and a half years to read through the whole Bible. But we did it. And at the end, we got our wives together, we patted ourselves in the back, we had a wonderful meal and celebrated. We read through the Bible. Okay, so you don't have to do two and a half years, just do a chapter a day through the three, four Gospels and you can celebrate every three months. Why not do that at least once a year or twice a year and figure out something to do with the other three-month intervals? A disciple is with Jesus. You cannot be a disciple apart from that. But then there's a second way to be a disciple, and this one now is going to get a little bit tricky for us. It is this. A disciple lives out his life as if Jesus himself is living it. A disciple lives out his life. Somebody else is in charge lives out his life as if Jesus himself is living it. Now, you're not going to be Jesus, okay? That's not what this says. You're you. Your character, your name, your preferences, your likes, your dislikes, it's you. But Jesus is living out your life through you. And we're not all going to be the same. We're all going to be different, but then we're going to be sort of the same. A disciple is with Jesus, and a disciple lives out his life as if Jesus are living it through him. So that means when I go throughout my day, I stop to think is, okay, if Jesus was here, wow, I don't think he'd say what I just said. And so uh, we have a little bit of a slap on the hand, and we, it's a reminder for us is I could have said that differently. Maybe I should have not said anything. Maybe that would be the real smart thing. You don't always have to comment, uh, which I like to do. So it's watching the mouth. Now, think of it this way. Think of yourself as if you are an apprentice. Okay, we can get a handle on this apprentice idea. If, if discipleship seems too peculiar, think of yourself as an apprentice. What's an apprentice? Apprentice is a learner. 
And a learner is learning, an apprentice is learning skills. If you just graduated from college and you got a new job or you're getting a new job, you're going to be an apprentice. You're just going to learn the ropes and figure out how it works. Uh, apprenticeship isn't just with skilled labor to learn a trade. But we can learn from those people is how does that work? Well, you practice. And you practice on small things and you learn to do it well. And then you learn to do it better. And then you keep practicing. And someone says, that's pretty good here, but you need to change it there. And so you let people give you advice and you let people talk to you to say, this is excellent, good, it could be better. And pretty soon you get more comfortable and more familiar and things start churning out by habit because you're skilled and you know how it works. And then you can work on other areas and you develop your skill even more. This is the apprentice. So if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, think of yourself as an apprentice. Now suppose you've been an apprentice for four months and somebody else over here has been an apprentice for four years. We should expect to see a difference, right? But what if we have somebody who's been an apprentice for four months and somebody else over here is an apprentice for four years and there's not a whole lot of difference? That is not a good formula. And there's something wrong with that. So how is your apprenticeship coming along? Because an apprentice always is changing, always is improving, always is learning new things, and it isn't just knowledge up here. Now we're talking about character. This is the life of an apprentice. Paul helps us get a handle on it a little bit better. Apprentice, discipleship and this apprenticeship idea always happens in relationships. So we're not alone. It's not something we do by ourselves. And I'm an interim pastor in a, in a church in southern Minnesota, and I like to use the illustration of the three-legged race. You know how that goes? You get two, somebody beside you, and you tie your, one of your legs together, and so you've got to learn how to walk together and make progress as a twosome. But imagine there's 15 of us with our legs tied together. That gets really complicated and messy and people fall down and trip and it gets complicated. But that is the church. So apprenticeship is you connecting and being involved with somebody else that sometimes you don't like. They're an irritation. Their personality is totally different than yours. That's the way God wants it so that you and they can learn how to walk together. That's part of your apprenticeship perspective, is figuring out how to get along and live and love and forgive and work together with those who are different. You need those people in your life, and so do I. Apprenticeship. Paul says it this way, Galatians 4.19. He compares it to giving birth. He says, I labor like a woman giving birth until... Christ is formed in you. This is idea. This is the idea. We live out our life as if Jesus is living it in us. And that's what Paul is saying. Then he goes on to another verse in Ephesians, another church. He says it even a more convicting way. And he talks about how we need to work together, speaking the truth in love, so that we grow up in every way into Christ, the head. Speaking the truth in love until we grow up in every way. So here's a personal question. Who has permission to speak the truth in love to you? You know what I'm talking about. It's the comment or it's the statement, uh, Steve, maybe if you were to respond differently, 
everybody would feel better about things. Maybe if you wouldn't get so irritated about that kind of an issue, there would be more harmony in this home. Hey, Steve, uh, what would you do if Jesus were standing right next to you and you responded that way? Uh, would you be okay with that? And would Jesus be okay with that? This is speaking the truth in love. Okay, so who has permission? Uh, I want to be real clear here. I'm not giving anybody permission to do this. You've got to be given it by somebody that trusts you. So you spot somebody in somebody's life. If, you, if they haven't given you permission to speak the truth in love, then you just need to keep it to yourself. You've got your own issues. Deal with those. But the, to those that we do give permission, it's painful and it's awkward and it's uncomfortable. But if I know that that person really loves me, I've got two really close friends and many times they have spoken the truth to me in love. Sometimes it's a compliment, that's nice, but they have permission to speak about things that I'm out of line. And they call me out on it, and I trust them, I let them. How do I feel about it? I hate it, I don't like it. Shows I've got problems, shows I've not arrived. Maybe it says, it seems to say to me, they're a little bit further along than me in their apprenticeship, I'm embarrassed. It really touches my pride. I don't like to be told I'm wrong. And you, you're all the same, right? Aren't we like that? But we need people to help us speak the truth in love in order to grow in our apprenticeship. Well, that happens in all kinds of relationships. Maybe you can say this. This is, this is my heart and desire. I am committed to being an apprentice in Jesus' workshop. I'm committed to that. I'm committed to being an apprentice. It, that means there's going to be some tough days, but there's going to be some really good days and things are going great. And who is the workshop? Where is the workshop? What is the workshop? It's me. It's my life. You're the workshop. Can you say that? Can you say, I am committed to being an apprentice in Jesus' workshop, and his workshop is my life? All right. Paul says it in another very succinct way when we look at Galatians 2.20. You probably know this verse too. Living out my life as if Jesus were living it in me. And so Paul says this, I have been crucified in Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. There it is. He's living in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All right, let me wrap up. Making disciples is not another church program. Sort of fits in okay in a college setting, university setting, and we, you know, we can have booklets and we can take people through things and teach them stuff and we can organize times and we have ministries like that. But for most of you, that's not going to work. And so this isn't another set of laws or duties or challenges. It's thinking broader than that, being more creative than that, and thinking of your relationships. Uh, who gets involved in this apprenticeship correction and involvement? Uh, sometimes it's your children. And kids go, Dad, 
Why'd you do that? And then we come up with a lame excuse to, because we're the dad and we can do as we please. But maybe we stop, maybe that's God speaking through my child, and it's the Lord asking, Steve, why did you do that? Why did you say those words? Why did you look that way? Why did you treat him with contempt just by your body language? It's mean. Sometimes it's your wife. We don't like to give our wives permission to uh, speak the truth to us too many times because that can just get un unpleasant. But sometimes we need to do that. But ask for permission. Ask if it's okay. Something's bothering me. Can I talk about it with you without sounding like I'm attacked? I don't want to try to attack you. But I think we need to talk about it. Can we do that? Ask for permission and be gentle and kind. You can work on discipleship in the grocery store. Somebody in the aisle is a real jerk, rude, and you can respond with kindness instead of payback and not get angry about it and let whoever you're shopping with see that your response was kind and gracious. There's a little picture of discipleship that happens or driving or you're anxious and you're in a rush and you become the commander of the kitchen. Stop, pull back and say, hold it, here's what the issues are and begin a little conversation and dialogue. Question is this, let's end on this. Do I look like a disciple of Jesus? Here's the three things to think about. Do I look like a disciple of Jesus? First, a disciple is with Jesus. Do I have a plan? Have I been carrying it out? Or will I start to do something now that helps me be with him? Secondly, a disciple lives out his life as if Jesus is living it in him, through him, her. And do you think that way? Is how can Jesus live out through me and I respond more like he does? And cut yourself some slack. Is you're not going to be perfect. And you're going to make mistakes and have regrets. Then ask for forgiveness and get on with the next time and change. Letting him live out his life through you. And finally, who has permission to speak the truth into your life so that you may grow up in every way, every aspect of your life and character? Here's a little secret. If somebody says something, does something, and you leak out an emotional response, it's impulsive, it's quick, it's fast. Maybe it's painful, maybe it's embarrassing, maybe it's unkind. There is an issue to think about and to say, Jesus, that just happened, but it happens all the time. Help me to work at it. What is it? What caused it? The issue isn't stop doing those things. That's just putting a Band-Aid on it. The issue is what caused the eruption? What caused me to get anxious, my heart to start beating faster? And I felt like I needed to do something about it. Run or attack. The secret is it's just the symptom. Let Jesus enter in and say, what, help me figure out what's down there. I suppose you'd have a hundred questions to ask about 
how does this discipleship work in this situation and that situation? It'd be fun to uh, have a microphone, pass it around, and we could hear some ideas and response. So that's not going to happen today. Um, I've only covered this idea of making disciples, being an apprentice in a superficial way. We just touched the surface, but encourage you to begin. Take one of these things and let the Lord work into your heart through you. So let me pray for you, Bethel people, that you might be apprentices under the leadership and the master class of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your son who offers to teach us. He offers to go with us wherever we are. And as we are baptized in his name, we are empowered by his spirit. And he's teaching us how to live life first in our homes with our family and our husbands and wives, our parents, our kids, and beyond that to our neighbors and the strangers we see, people we'll see today. Give us the mindset of an apostle, I mean of a disciple, an apprentice, so that you might be pleased with our ever-growing process of being more like our Savior Jesus. Use this church to sharpen each other. Give them a special dispensation of grace and forgiveness with one another so that their differences aren't the issue. They learn to love one another as you love us. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.